Hello and welcome. I'm Sri Roy with Sleep Review, and I'm thrilled to be here with neurologist sleep specialist Isabel Arnouf, a MD, PhD, a professor of neurology at the Sorbonne University in Paris, France, and head of the Sleep Disorders Clinic at PTA Salpetriere Hospital. This episode is sponsored by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Today we are chatting about the pathophysiology of idiopathic hypersomnia. Science doesn't fully understand the pathophysiology of idiopathic hypersomnia. Research has revealed potential clues, however. For example, idiopathic hypersomnia is associated with changes in sleep staging and architecture. What does emerging science suggest are differences in nighttime sleep? Well, um, as you know, it depends on the type of idiopathic hypersomnia you're speaking about. Uh, in the past, IH was uh, separated into IH with and without long sleep time, depending on sleeping less on more than 10 hours per night. Um, this uh, separation has been removed in the 2013 uh, ECSD uh, criteria because of lack of enough data, but still it corresponds to different patients. Uh, so if you consider IH without long sleep time, the content of the night is quite close to that of narcolepsy patient, meaning that sleep is normal or short and interrupted by many arousal and awakenings. It's not well consolidated, despite this patient, of course, do not suffer from sleep apnea and, or over uh, disturbing event during the night. So this might correspond to the the main stream monitored in many US hospitals because you need to have some normal sleep, normal or short sleep, and short MSLT latency to diagnose IH without long sleep time. In contrast, IH with long sleep time is very different and may correspond to the other part of the spectrum compared to narcolepsy because these patients sleep extremely long. Their, their long sleep time is not restricted to 10 hours if you monitor them over 24 hours, what is called a bed rest condition, when you let them in bed in the morning and in the afternoon and in the night, they all sleep more than 11 hours and it's often 13, 14 hours on a row, including a lot of consecutive sleep cycles containing either some normal amount, respective amount of N2, N3 and REM sleep, or containing some increased percentage of N3 or less, less frequently REM sleep. In that case, the arousal index is, on the contrary, much lower than even in controls. It seems that these patients have high difficulty to wake up, even with this very common arousal we all have during the night to turn in the bed, for example. So it's in the same direction, these patients have very huge difficulty to wake up in the morning, and we used to call that a major sleep inertia or sleep drunkenness, because they are like drunk people, uh, not able to, to wake up. They, they just return back to sleep every minute despite their alarm clock is, is, is ringing and ringing and ringing again and they are confused and they are clumsy and really they need people to help them to wake up. And this happened after the night but also after the, the, the naps. Uh, so you can see these are very different types of IH patients. How might the arousal index differ in idiopathic hypersomnia versus in people without it, and why might that matter? 
The arousal index is lower in IH with long sleep time than in normal people. In this case, one may wonder whether patients with IH have, in general, difficulty to wake up, including arousal and awakening and morning awakening, in which it's, it's, it's really hard for them to wake up. So we are facing people who, are, who have difficulty to arouse in general. In the case of IH without long sleep time, the arousal index might be increased in some cases, and at least they might have a lower sleep efficiency than normal people. But this is something very different. In addition to nighttime sleep dysfunction, other physiological changes have been observed in some patients with idiopathic hypersomnia and theorized as possible contributors to its pathophysiology. What is the GABAergic system and its possible role? If you sleep too much, you might have a deficit in arousal system, like in narcolepsy where the hypocretin is deficient, or you might have an abnormal secretion of a sedative peptide or a sedative neuromediator. You might have increased need for sleep because you have you are secreting too much or you are activating too much your system of sleep. In this direction, the group of Atlanta, from, directed by David Dry, found that patient either with IH or with narcolepsy, but with long sleep time and major resistance to common stimulants, might be secreting an endogenous GABAergic peptide, uh, which is supposed to act like a hypnotic would do uh, on our wakefulness. You could compare it to taking a hypnotics in the morning instead of the night and being foggy during all day because you're fighting against the effect of hypnotics. They found that, not directly, but because they had, they had difficulty, or they, they, this group found that the, the GABA-B receptor seems to be stimulated by something endogenous uh, they, that they had to dip, displace with radioactivity. What are some emerging findings surrounding idiopathic hypersomnia and autonomic system dysfunction? It has longly been known that patients with IH uh, have more frequent autonomic symptoms, including more frequent orthostatic hypotension or more difficulty to, to manage with their temperature, being feeling too hot or, on the contrary, too cold compared to other people. It's known in narcolepsy, they have also higher... These patients, they have also autonomic problems, but they are also more keen to develop pain, including migraines and other pains, which is known in hypersomnolent people. They are less resistant to pain in general. We'll be right back with Dr. Onouf after the short break. This episode is sponsored by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Jazz Pharmaceuticals is a global biopharmaceutical company with a focus in neuroscience and sleep medicine, committed to improving the lives of patients and their families. Jazz is also the proud creator of SleepCountsHCP.com. The goal of SleepCountsHCP.com is to increase awareness of idiopathic hypersomnia and support symptom recognition to help patients receive a quality diagnosis and appropriate disease management. SleepCountsHCP.com provides evidence-based educational materials and resources to improve communication between healthcare professionals and their patients. 
Visit jazzpharma.com and sleepcountshcp.com for more information. What is the evidence that supports the idea of altered functional or regional connectivity in the brain in people with idiopathic hypersomnia? The group of Canada, of Montreal, of Dangru, has, has done some functional imaging in IH people during wakefulness compared to normal people. And most of their uh, IH patients were IH patients with long sleep time. And what they found is that the frontal or prefrontal brain area is hypoactive during wakefulness compared to normal people. And this hypoactivity corresponds to what we see in people in sleep in end to sleep. Uh, the frontal lobe is the first to fall asleep in our brain. And uh, they, because this hypometabolism in, in the hypoactivity and hypometabolism in the prefrontal and frontal lobe correlated with the degree of sleepiness, whether measured on MSLT or on EPOF sleepiness scale, they give, gave the tantalizing idea that our patient with IH might be half asleep, having their prefrontal lobe asleep whereas their, the posterior part of their brain were, were, would be awake, which totally corresponds with, with what our patient used to say. In, in IH, there are, of course, some sleep attacks, but most of the time, patients are foggy, and they say it's, it is really as, as if I were half asleep all day. This, I think this finding corresponds well to what the patient feels, Plus, they found that as the frontal uh, part of, of the brain was hypofunctional, the posterior part of the brain was trying to work more to compensate. It was hyperactive, as if it was a sort of compensation for this deficient frontal lobe during wakefulness. There were fascinating studies done on skin fibroblasts suggesting that circadian period length may be different in people with idiopathic hypersomnia versus in people without it. What role might circadian rhythm dysfunction have in idiopathic hypersomnia? We early showed that patients with idiopathic hypersomnia are more evening person than the general population. In the past, the group of Prague, led by uh, Nefzi Valoma, have shown that uh, patients with idiopathic hypersomnia have a blunted melatonin secretion during the night and uh, a delayed melatonin secretion, which further supports the idea uh, that the patient with IH have a longer inner night, because all these a circadian system is uh, all these measures are measuring our inner night. And this was further substantiated by the analysis of the fibroblast, which, uh, because every cell has its inner clock in our body, the analysis of fibroblast have shown that uh, in IH patient, the, uh, long, the inner night may be longer. All in all, it cannot totally explain IH, otherwise we would say, okay, it's a, sleep, a delayed sleep phase syndrome, which is something we commonly see and in which uh, condition the patients are 
able to when when they are uh, realigned re on, on normal sleep time they uh, have a good functioning during daytime in contrast ih patient even if they are allowed to follow their own rhythm and to go to bed later and to wake later in the morning still are sleepy during the rest of the day which means that the circadian aspect of being a late person is just a contributor to the sleepiness but but does not cause it what has science discovered about the possible role of dysfunction of energy metabolism in idiopathic hypersomnia uh, we earlier showed that patients with uh, idiopathic hypersomnia are thinner than the general population and much thinner than, uh, than patients with narcolepsy. Uh, we don't know what causes uh, this lower body weight in this patient. First, they are mostly women, and then they are sleeping a lot, and maybe it's because they sleep a lot that they have a better metabolism, because we know that sleep is doing good to our metabolism. But I'm not aware of any other explanation for this uh, thinner aspect in IH patients. What further research would you like to see conducted on the pathophysiology of idiopathic hypersomnia? We need a lot of more research to understand the mechanism and the pathophysiology of uh, idiopathic hypersomnia. For example, we need a brain bank. This has really helped in the narcolepsy field and it could surely help in the IH field. Uh, we also need more imaging, brain imaging, functional brain imaging, of course. We need to have more DNA analysis because contrary to narcolepsy, IH seems to be more familial, to have more familial cases than narcolepsy patients. And we need more registries, of course. Each time it's a rare disorder, we need to put all data together between centers to, to go ahead. Thanks so much for chatting with us about the pathophysiology of idiopathic hypersomnia. You can find Sleep Review at sleepreviewmag.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. 